0: Listening to the Venue podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five as we're continuing our series called "This Changes Everything." So, uh, the first week in the series, we looked at our redemption that Jesus paid the price for our sins, that he is our justification, our propitiation. He is our redemption. And then last week, obviously, Easter, we looked our, our sermon was called Our Rejoicing and looking at the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. He's alive and well. We get to talk with him, meet with him, and worship him. That's what we're doing this morning. Well, today, our sermon is called Our Reality, Our Reality. So because Jesus is alive, because we're saved by grace through faith, by trusting him, here's our new experience. He, Here is our new reality. And it's interesting, Paul, he really, he takes a, he makes a shift. So in chapters one through four, he references faith 33 times. But then in chapters five through eight, he just references faith or says, uses the word faith three times. And in chapters one through five, excuse me, one through four, he says the word life two times. And in chapters five through eight, he says the word life 24 times. Why do I say that? He's pointing out, I'm pointing out this difference of Paul in the first few chapters, first four chapters, talking so much about faith. And we come into a relationship with God through faith. But then he makes this shift to say, okay, because you've been saved through faith, trusting in Jesus, here is your new experience. Here is now the life that you get to live. Here is your new reality because Jesus is alive and he does change everything, absolutely everything. Now, just so we can make sure we're clear and thinking about faith, faith is coming to God with empty hands and a heart that says, God, I trust you. And scripture says that when you do that, when you trust in Jesus, that God imputes or credits the righteousness of Jesus to you you, which is the best news ever. So it means that because Jesus on the cross was treated like you deserve to be treated because of your sin, when God credits you with the righteousness of Jesus, then it means God treats you as Jesus deserves to be treated. Y'all tracking with that? Just the best news ever. It's called the, the great, or it's what a lot of scholars call the great exchange. It's a shift that we get the goodness of Jesus because he took our pain, our punishment. And just like you can see the transition happen, look at uh, chapter four, verse 24. I know I told you chapter five, but it's close enough. (laughs) Four, verse 24, it says, it will be credited, righteousness is what he's talking about. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, for our justification. So you may remember justification is God declares me righteous by crediting the righteousness of Jesus to me. So faith in Jesus leads to justification, being in right relationship with God. And that leads to a whole new reality that we don't deserve. I remember several years ago, I was getting to travel uh, with a team from my wife's work to uh, Kenya and the best thing ever happened. Like, I didn't think it would be this awesome, but it was. We uh, had flown from somewhere in the States to London and then we still had like what probably 10 hours or so from London to Nairobi. And uh, we get to the desk, we're waiting to go onto the plane and, we, and something is like, something's uh, amiss up at the desk and they're talking to our, our team leader and uh, we, we think something's bad, but actually ends up being oh so good. All of a sudden, our team leader comes over and he says, hey, uh, I'm not really sure what all's going on, but they upgraded us to business class, which well, if you've never flown business class on an international flight, Ooh, it is awesome. Like In my mind, it might as well be first class. So we get on the plane and sure enough, we each have our own little cubby, which when you're flying 10 hours or eight hours, whatever it is, having your own cubby to lay down changes everything. <laughs> You have a waiter who, or a waitress, like a steward, steward, there we go, a stewardess, who comes by frequently, and <laughs> my wife's shaking her head like, what is he saying up there? They come by frequently and ask about the food or drink you need. It is incredible, and the best part was we, we didn't have to pay for this. It was just given to us. We just had to receive it, and let me tell you, being in business class changed our reality. So much so that we actually got to sleep on the plane. I remember four or five hours into the flight, uh, I had to go up and use the restroom. And, you know, it's all the common folk in economy, they can't use our restroom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, stay away from our restroom. And so uh, I, go, I go towards the restroom, and I see one of the girls on our team who's actually in our, I had her as a middle school pastor, then she was in our college ministry, so I knew her well. Um, it's Katie Harden, in case you're wondering, okay? Uh, Katie Ritchie, to some of you, if you remember her before she got married but she is sitting in her chair and she's curled up in a tight little ball. And y'all, I couldn't handle it because that chair in business class has the ability to lay down completely flat. So I was like, this is is not gonna stand on my watch, right? So I go up to Katie's chair and I begin to, to press the button and she goes from a little curl-up curl ball to just laid out flat. Of course, the guys across from her are like, what is that young man doing, right? Creeping everybody out. But I, I couldn't help but do that because I thought, Katie has this great opportunity to be in business class, and she's totally missing out on what is available to her. And I remember, once we got to Kenya, like, Katie, why did you do that? I think she said something effective. Well, you just, she just fell asleep, and she's so used to sleeping like that on the plane, so she just didn't even realize or think about what was available to her in that moment. What I love about this chapter, and why I think it's such an important shift in the book of Romans, it's as if Paul comes up beside our chair and says, hey, let me help you experience all that is yours in Christ Jesus. Like how, how many of us are just kind of living life as though nothing has really changed and Jesus is saying, oh no, I've been really, really good to you. I've given you something you don't deserve. And now let me explain to you just how good this new reality is in Jesus Christ. We've been saved by grace through faith. How does that change us? What has it changed our reality? Chapter five, verse one. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing we see. Because you have been justified by faith, you are a friend of God. Because you've been justified by faith, you get to have a relationship with God through his sacrifice, now, you may be wondering, why am I saying, why do I use the word friend instead of peace? I'm trying to help give a little bit of clarity to what Paul is saying. We typically, when we read the word peace, because we live with such anxious lives, we automatically think of peace like calmness, serenity. That's actually not exactly what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about leads to that kind of peace. But that subjective peace, feeling peace, he's talking about objective peace that once we were enemies of God, rebels against him, but now we have peace, look at that, the preposition, with God, so we're no longer enemies of God, no, now we are friends of God, we are at peace with him through, look what it says, in case we missed it, through our Lord Jesus Christ, so it's not something that we did, like, you know what, God, we messed up, we're gonna make this better now, no, Jesus saw our condition and came and paid the price for our sins so that we could be at peace with God and no longer enemies of him, no no longer rebels against him. Romans 8, Paul goes on to say that now God is for us. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So because of Jesus, because of the fact that we're justified through faith in him, now we know God is for us. Question, does being at peace with God and God being for you, that objective reality, should and does that lead to subjective peace, meaning a feeling of peace? Absolutely. When you know that you're at peace with God, you're not an enemy of God, that certainly stirs in your soul a rest, a serenity, a peace. Man, I know God is for me. That drives down anxiety when you know you're in a relationship with God. You're not an enemy of him anymore through Jesus Christ. You know, thinking of anxiety, I don't know if there's a whole lot more. Let me say it this way. One of the greatest things that drives anxiety in your life and in relationships is when you think somebody is against you. Like, think about in your family. Think about at work. Think about at a school, when you think somebody doesn't like you, you begin to try to interpret everything they say and do, don't you? Hey, I just want to, did you see how they looked at me? And your friend's like, what do you mean how they looked at you? Like, I don't know, I just got a bad feeling about them, man. Or, or everything they say, or they send an email or a text and like, well, they, they didn't put an exclamation point. Maybe there's some anger there, right? You begin to read into everything. That what is their motive? What is the, the, the meaning behind that smirk they gave you, whatever it may be? It drives up anxiety. But when you know someone is a friend, when you, so, when you know someone is for you, that that changes everything. Then you, you know you can be at rest with that person. You don't have to be guarded. You don't have to second guess what their actually what their motives are. No, you you know that they're for you, and so you can rest in that moment. What Paul's saying by saying we have peace with God is that we don't have to live in this frenetic anxiety of like I got to make sure God's happy and not against me. And and what is God trying to do? Is He out to get me? No, I know God is for me. I can rest in that. He says we have peace with God. So continuous, ongoing. Every moment of your life, that is your present reality that you have peace with God. So when you don't feel peaceful and you feel anxious, remember, no, I may feel that way, but objectively, factually, I have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm a friend of God. Think about it. Is there anything cooler than that you are a friend of God? Like what? There's no thing you could put on your resume and no promotion you could get that would be like, all right, no, that's better. No, you, if you know Jesus, you've reached the top. Like, congratulations, that's the coolest thing you can do in this life. That's the most amazing thing you can, that can happen in your life is that you know the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that he lives inside you and you are at peace with him. Not just at peace, you are a friend of God. You know, if, if that would be enough for me, but... Paul's just getting going. (laughs) He says, verse two, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Second point, because you have been justified by faith, you stand in the grace of God. Your new realm of existence in every moment is in the grace of God, that you get to stand in it. And notice again, in case we miss it, there's no way you can walk away from with a works mentality from this text. He says, it is by faith, excuse me, it's through him by faith. So again, you didn't pay for this. You didn't earn it. You didn't work hard enough to get it. No, through Jesus, you've obtained access into this grace in which we stand. So often we think of grace, and this is appropriate, we think of grace as God's forgiveness in our life. But here, Paul's not so much referring to the quality of grace as he is the sphere of grace. This is like an important nuance. It's in, into this grace in which we stand. So he's referring to the privileged position of acceptance that's not just that God accepts me and forgives me. It's that now I'm in a privileged, forever abiding position of being in his presence. That's incredible. And it says we've obtained access. Some, some scholars say, um, Greek scholars say that maybe an even better translation of that, that would be that we've been introduced So when you say obtained access, it may make you think that you took the initiative and that that you've kind of earned this right. I have access, and now I'm going to move forward. But really, the idea is actually a little more formal in the Greek of of being introduced to a high-ranking king or high-ranking politician that someone is saying, hey, let me introduce you and take you in where you normally wouldn't belong on your own. What he's saying is Jesus, God the Son, has ushered us into God's presence, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We couldn't get there on our own. And he says, hey, come with me. I'll take you where apart from me you don't belong. And you get to stand in the grace of God. That we stand is, is perfect tense, meaning, so it's happened. It happened at a point of time when you were justified by faith, but the results are ongoing. That forever and always, in every moment, you get to stand in God's presence, in his gracious, privileged acceptance. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. The perfect tense expresses this. Our relationship with God into which justification has brought us is not sporadic, but continuous, not precarious, but secure. We do not fall in and out of grace. No, we stand in it, for that is the nature of grace. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So even in your imperfections, even in your flaws, even in your weaknesses, even on your worst days, when you're like, I'm just a mess. If you know Jesus, even in those moments, your reality, your experience that you're living in your life is still in the grace of God, still in his presence. You know, for a lot of us, I think um, we tend to think of God's grace and our our ability, uh, our opportunity to be in God's grace as like a kiddie pool. So let me unpack this. As much as the language here is of Certainty and secure and a firm foundation, because he's talking about a sphere of being in God's grace. I think a helpful metaphor is thinking about water, because you can dive into water and be in that sphere, so to speak. So for a lot of us, we think of God's grace as a kiddie pool, meaning it's it's short, it's shallow, and you can't really do much in there. Like you can, like if, here, if I had a kiddie pool right here, you could easily just step in and out of it and go on and do your thing. And for so many of us, that's how we view God's grace as it's just as maybe I, sometimes I'm in it, sometimes I'm not. If I'm not careful, I'll walk, right, I'll walk right through it. I can't really dive into it because it's not really deep. And when you think about God's grace as portrayed in the Bible, a kiddie pool is not what it is at all. It's more like you being dropped in the middle of the ocean, which depths you do not know, which links you could never reach because you can't get out of God's grace if you're in Jesus Christ. That's as ridiculous as draining the Pacific dry. It won't happen. If you are in Jesus, then you are secure in grace. Even on your worst days, he's got you because you 've been justified by faith you stand in the grace of God so do you, do you see here he's talked about he's addressed our, our present excuse me our, our past experience that we were enemies of God but because of justification by faith now we're at peace with God we're friends of God and and presently because of what God has done in the past because he's justified us presently we get to stand in the grace of God and then in the next section, the next few verses, he, he points towards, okay, here's what your future, here's how your future is changed because you've been justified by faith. Look at verse the end of verse two. I'm going to actually just start in verse two again. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's what we just unpacked. And he says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So here's our third point. Because you've been justified by faith, you look forward to the glory of God. We have the hope, the certainty, the promise of heaven. When he's talking about the glory of God, that's what he's ultimately referring to, that we know that heaven is coming. This world is not our home. This is not our final destination. And I love that word boast. We, we typically think like uh, that being a bad word, but here he's saying, if you're gonna boast in something, boast in the hope of the glory of God. Boast that you know Jesus and you know where you're going. When you boast in something, it's, it's, you take pride in something. It's something you cling to, right? So there's things that you are ashamed of. What do you do? You, you push them away. You distance yourself from that which you're ashamed of. But what you're prideful of, again, we're not talking about a cocky jerk, but like when, when there's a good, healthy pride in something, you cling to it, right? Like even think about parents with your kids or kids, think about what your parents do. When they say, I'm proud of you, often with that, there's this, you can, there's this embrace, right? I can can almost like think back and see my mom and dad saying, son, we're proud of you and giving me a hug because what you're proud of, you begin to cling to and draw near to. So what Paul's saying is we we cling to the hope of heaven, that we know that's our destination. Again, I think John's thought super helpful in in unpacking this idea of heaven. He said, in the glory of God, he says, what of this glory of God? It's namely his radiant splendor, which will in the end be fully displayed. Already his glory is being continuously revealed in the heavens and the earth. Already it has been uniquely made manifest in Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, most notably in his death and resurrection. One day, however, the curtain will be raised and the glory of God will be fully disclosed. First, Jesus Christ himself will appear with great power and glory. Secondly, we will not only see his glory, but be changed into it so that he will be glorified in his holy people. Then redeemed human beings who were created to be the image and glory of God, but now through sin fall short of the glory of God, will again and in full measure share in his glory. Thirdly, even the groaning creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God the renewed universe will be covered with its creator's glory. All this is included in the phrase, the glory of God, and is therefore the object of our sure hope. And in it, we exalt, we praise, we boast. Well said, John. <laughs> we look forward to all that God has in store for us. And you know, sometimes heaven can feel like this abstract, distant thing, And I I don't, for me, it can. But think about those moments when you've had just a taste of God's presence on your tongue. I mean, like metaphorically, it feels like there's a few drops of God's goodness and presence on your tongue. Like I think about, there's times in worship, or maybe times where you're out exploring God's creation, and you just sense God's goodness and his presence. That's just, micro fraction of what awaits us in eternity of being with God forever so when you have those little just small moments or glimpses of like of God's goodness and his glory let that propel you to think about eternity and that's just a small glimpse of how good God is it gives you hope in the moment when you think about the glory that awaits us in heaven My wife uh, worked with a gentleman for a while who had served in military, and he served on a submarine. And he told her that there was one time they spent almost near 100 days submerged under the water, which that sounds, one, terrifying to me, but also just depressing to me. Like they're on a mission, they have a goal, but just submerged in the darkness of the ocean for near 100 days. He told her what was a game changer for him was he got to run the periscope. Runs is not the right word. He got to, to use the periscope to look out up into the sky and see what was above the water. I would have never guessed in a hundred tries that that's what gave him hope on the submarine. She, she asked him, what was it about using the periscope that gave you hope, that encouraged you? He said, well, I I got to remember where we were eventually going to be. Yes, it's dark down here. It's cramped down here. It's difficult. We're on a mission. But one day, I'm going to be up there. There's going to be a little less pressure, and I'll get to enjoy what's coming. Keeping his eyes on what was ahead helps him in the present moment. I think that's part of what Paul is saying here. Like, we have... Presently, we get to enjoy friendship with God. We presently get to know that we stand in the grace of God, but don't forget where you're going. Yes, this life is difficult. Yes, this life is hard, but we get to enjoy the hope of heaven forever. So fix your eyes on Jesus, on him seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's where you're gonna be. Some of you, even as I'm thinking about conversations I get to have with you, you're shaking your head, yes, but you know that the triumph of tomorrow seems a little distant because the trials of today seem a little bit too tough. Some of you are there right now. Like, Okay, yeah, heaven sounds great, but I'm struggling right now today. If that's you, listen how Paul finishes this section. He says, and not only that, So if the things I've said, he's just unpacked, weren't enough. He says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Here's our fourth and final point because you've been justified by faith, you are always being molded by the hand of God. So because you've been saved by faith as a child of God, not only was he kind enough to save you, but he is always using everything to shape you, to mold you into the person that he has called you to be, that he created you to be. You know, for so many of us, we think of hardship and affliction, and it automatically sets off this chain reaction in our, in our minds and our hearts of anxiety, of fear, of stress, of, oh, I'm going through a hard time. And Paul says, if you know Jesus, it should set off a different chain reaction in your mind because of what actually happens. He says that we boast, so there's that word again, that boast, we cling to, we take pride in, this is so foreign to our world today, we take pride in afflictions, which, by the way, can we just acknowledge, Like, it seems like our world, and you and me are included in that, we're not pointing the finger, we're getting weaker by the moment, right? I don't mean like we should go hit the gym. I mean weaker, like we don't have steel in our backbone. But we, every, every little hardship that we face, we start whining and complaining about the difficulties of this life. Paul says, if you know Jesus, you should boast in your affliction. You, you take pride and you cling to those hard times. Why? Because we know so he's not saying how you feel. He's telling you what you should be thinking. We know objectively that affliction, hard times, produces endurance. So when you go through hard times, when you go through difficulty, whether it's you're persecuted for your faith or whether it's your mom passes away or maybe it's just you have a difficult thing at work or school coming up, those hard times produce endurance, the ability to hold up, to bear up under hardship. If there's no hard time, then you don't even need endurance. The hard time produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character. So without hard times, there's no endurance. And without endurance, having to bear up under difficulty, your character is never tested. Your character is never proven in the, and formed in the furnace, so to speak. So if you never go through hard times, you, you're going to be one of those people that can talk the talk and you have a lot of things to say about the Bible, but your character is lacking because you've never had to be fortified in your character and actually live out the virtues you proclaim to know. If you know Jesus, he says, man, you boast in those hard times. Those hard times produce endurance, and that endurance produces proven character. And look at this. And proven character produces hope. So this certainty, this excitement in the, that rests on the promises of God. And he says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So... Hard times, afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. So the more that God forms me, the more that he molds me, the more it drives me to rest and trust in him alone. I love what Tim Keller says about that. He says, suffering removes from us all rival sources of confidence and hope. Other places we might look to for a sense of that deep down feeling that we're okay and that our future will be okay. Suffering drives us to the one place where we find real hope, real confidence, real certainty. It drives us to God. Amen. Notice, we're not boasting in, he doesn't say we boast in our afflictions because you know what, I know how to handle this. I'm really good at suffering. Like that's creepy and weird if you say that, right? No, we we boast, we take pride in hard times and afflictions because of not our ability, but because of God's ability to produce in Him, excuse me, to produce in us what is lacking. because of God's ability to work in our lives. John Chrysostom, he was an early church father. He was one of the first to point this out and really highlight this, that it doesn't say God's love, was just put in our hearts, or placed in our hearts, it was poured out in our hearts. The picture there is that God's not just like, oh, here's a little love. No, he dumps all he has into us of the love of God. And it's poured out through the Holy Spirit. So by the way, this is not some second feeling. This is not some, if you really love Jesus, you'll get a second dose of the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous, it's not biblical. When you come to know Jesus, God puts all of himself into you. It's not a later date. No, he puts the Holy Spirit in you. And that is a confirmation, an affirmation of your relationship with God. You sense the Holy Spirit, the love of God in you, and that builds your hope again, teaches you to rest on the promises of God. So if you take all the verses three through five together, what's again saying? Because you've been justified by faith, you know that you are always being molded by the hand of God. In every difficulty, in every hardship, the Holy Spirit is working in you. I've shared with y'all before, my favorite passages is Psalm 23, and I can't help but think of that with this text. That in every hardship, in every difficulty, in every season of lacking, in every season of confusion, in every season of God, what are you doing He's still your good shepherd. In every season of affliction, your shepherd is building endurance in you. Your shepherd is producing character in you. Your shepherd is producing hope in you every single day. What does the psalm say? That surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So you may feel like affliction is chasing after you every day and you can't get away from it. But in reality, who's actually chasing you every day is your good shepherd, molding you into who you're meant to be. So let's recap. Because you've been justified by faith, you are a friend of God. You stand in the grace of God. You look forward to the glory of God and you know that you're always being molded by the hand of God. You know, often with the Bible, and this is appropriate, Appropriate. we wanna think about, okay, what do I need to do? What, what's the action I need to take? What's the application? And that, that's great. But there's also a danger in that of like turning our relationship with God into just things that we do and not realizing it's a relationship with him. I like to ask when I'm reading the Bible, this is a great question for you to ask. When you're reading scripture, is this an action to do or a truth to embrace. These this morning, what are these? Truth to embrace. That leads to action for sure, but like, it starts with just a truth to embrace. Recognizing what you've been given in Jesus. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you. You receive it through faith. I started off talking about travel end well, thinking about travel. You ever driven or flown somewhere at night and you get there and uh, you don't really know, like maybe you, you've picked out the hotel or the Airbnb or whatever, and you, you don't really know where you're at. You've seen it on the map, but like you're not really sure what your surroundings look like. You ever had that experience? Whether it's vacation, driving up to Colorado or, or down to the beach or like I said, flying to fly into another country, that happens for sure if you get there in the middle of the night. You're not really sure what it looks like. So it's always fun to wake up the next morning and walk out and open the, open the windows and, whoa, this is what it looks like. And often, especially if you've gone on a vacation, like it's, it's, it's beautiful, it, it opens your eyes, it's like your soul's refreshed on seeing it, like, oh, that, that's what it is. As I, as I think about this passage and I think about our church family, I think a lot of us, are kind of like that vacation where you're already there, meaning you're already in Christ. Like you have a relationship with him. So you've gone from death to life. Like you're you're there, you're present in Jesus, but you've been asleep. Your eyes have been closed to just how good you have it in him. And my prayer this morning, that even right now, even if you've been kind of like, not sure what's going on through the service, my prayer is that this morning, you would wake up, have your eyes opened to how good you have it in Jesus. Like when you, when you begin to see that by faith, because of what Jesus has done, I'm at peace with God. I get to stand in the grace of God. I look forward to heaven. And even in the hardships, I have a new perspective on difficulty because God is always working in me. That literally changes everything. And if you're wondering why in your life, like you know you're a Christian, but you don't have much joy, you don't have much excitement about walking with Jesus, it's probably because you're just kind of asleep to the reality of what it means to be in him. And so the, the action to do this morning for you would be, God, would you help me to see, would you help me to embrace the truths of Romans 5? God, would you help me to wake up to how good I have it in you? How many of us have been sleepwalking through the goodness of Jesus in our lives? So in a, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute, as we're singing, maybe the challenge for you is to come and just kneel at the altar, or come and, and uh, grab one of these ministers that'll be down by the front and just say, hey, would you pray with me? I know I'm a Christian, but I've been blind. I've been asleep to how good Jesus is and what he's done for me and what I get to experience in him. Just would you call out to the Lord? God, wake me up. I believe, you no, know, I know he hears those prayers If you don't want to come down front, you're welcome to sit in your chair, but I do think there's something powerful about putting feet to what God is doing in your heart. Some of you this morning, you would say, no, I haven't even made the trip. Like, my eyes are open, and I I haven't even made the trip. I'm not in Jesus. I am still dead in my sins. Well, the encouraging thing is, just as we saw all over that text, this is not about you getting your act together so you can receive the goodness of Jesus. No, he did it for you. Left heaven, came, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, for my sins, so that you could be forgiven. He took the initiative. You just have to receive it. He's not sitting up in heaven like, are they gonna finally get it together? No, he's he's knocking on the door this morning. We looked at last week that I think a good way to describe the way it feels when God is working and speaking to you is that you feel something burning in your heart, not heartburn, bad queso. No, he... His spirit is working and speaking to your heart. So may some this morning, God is inviting you to make the trip from death to life by turning to Jesus for salvation. And again, it's just faith. God, I come to you with empty hands and an empty heart. I want you to feel me. I'm trusting in you for salvation. If you are making that your prayer this morning, again, there'll be some ministers down front that would love to pray with you, love to encourage you, love to celebrate you trusting in Jesus for salvation. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, before we sing, I'm going to give you just a minute. I know we're, we're about out of time, but I'm going to give you just a minute to just pray and talk with the Lord. And if you, if you want to come to the altar and pray, you can, you can come as soon as I start praying. I'd love for you to do that. And then after we have a moment to pray, we're going to sing and respond. Jesus, we are so grateful for what we have in you. Would you open our eyes to your goodness? to the benefits of justification by faith. Would you wake us up to the realities that we have in you? God, help us to walk in them. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, would you draw them to yourself? Would you bring salvation to their hearts today? Guys, Would take just a brief moment to pray. Would you help us to be real with you and honest with you? And Lord, help us to, to know and trust that you hear our prayers. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.